Welcome to Prefer Not To, weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. <laughs> with your hosts, Josh and Kate. As always, I'm not Kate. As always, I'm not Josh. <sighs> Every week, Kate and I have a cocktail that we haven't had before, an adult beverage. And we watch a movie or something, and then we talk about it, and render some verdicts on them, maybe give you a recommendation or two, send you on your way, all in about an hour. Yep. What's going on, Kate? Got went to the dentist earlier. Is my um, mouth, is it still looking droopy? It is still droopy. You okay. look like Jim Ross. Who's Jim Ross? Longtime wrestling announcer, Jim Ross, who oh, suffers from oh, frequent oh, bouts oh, of Bell's oh, palsy. See, if you said JR, I would have known what you were talking about. Old J, good old JR. I guess I could look worse. Yeah, JR's an attractive man. He's a lovely man, I guess. Big hat. Uh, well, you know what they say about big hats. They are required if you have a big head uh, and I was, don't want to get cold. Um, to, you know, penises and stuff. Really? Is there any? <laughs> when, is there any part of the body that its size has not been, in urban legend, putatively correlated with genital girth? The size of your heart, Josh. Um. That would mean you have the biggest penis in the world. Oh, Because you have a heart as big as all outdoors. And a a cock as big as all outdoors. I am known to swing my junk around. Especially in situations. Just whip it out. Mm. So what are we drinking and or what did we watch this week? We watched 1982's Greased 2. Mm -hmm. And we are having grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. No connection there other than the uh, sort of vaguely early 60s, late 50s feel of uh, both. No, Probably not, more in the grasshopper. Yeah, not really. I, I just, um, we've been doing a lot of cocktails that aren't really like traditional cocktails, like beer cocktails and mm-hmm. shandies and stuff like that. So, well, tough cocktails. Yes. And uh, I wanted to get back to cocktail-dom, and mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the ones we hadn't tried yet. And this is also our first foray into cream-based cocktails. Weren't, wasn't there cream in the white lady or the white Russian? There's cream in the white Russian for sure. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, never mind. This is not our first foray. Never mind. Redacted. (laughs) Is that what things sound like when they get redacted? Yes. Because that sounded like a creaky bed. Where's the... Oh, damn it. We can do the pogo stick sound that makes it go... You did just... You did an outstanding job there yourself. Damn it. We don't need... Hey. I know, I know. We don't need to outsource our effects to some sort of mechanical Michael Winslow, but apparently we are. That's the sound of redaction. That is, yeah. Ooh, I redacted her good. Ew. Remember that? Remember that night I redacted? I redacted all night long. <laughs> on your original story? On what? On your original like novel? Like what are you redacting <laughs> on? Mm, mm. You retconning Star Wars? It was filthy redacting. Ew. Sometimes she would like she would have me redact from the back first. Well, that's how you're supposed to do it, right? No, no. That way you can. Um, it's an abomination. You, stim- against the you Lord. stimulate the cervix that way. No. What? You can only re- you can only re- you can only redact forward. You can't you can't, re- you can't you can't redact up 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 the backside. Because if there's something that a woman wants you to do while you're making love, it's to stimulate her cervix. Oh, well, that was the the Cosmo thing that we saw. Oh God. The uh, dubious sex advice. Some women like cervical play. No, no, no woman likes cervical play. First of all, play. I don't think cervical play is a word. I don't think that's a thing. That's like acid play. I, I don't mean, think there's a thing. I mean, there might be, but you're wrong if you do that. You know, I'm not judgmental. Anything that gets you off. Anything that comes into contact with my cervix mm-hmm. tends to just be very painful. Like when I had my IUD put in, mm-hmm. they had to clamp your cervix. Is there a wide sample? 
And then, well, one time, you know, with um, Jersey Douche. Oh, right, yeah. That was a lot of cervix action, and yeah. I uh, was not, not, it was not yeah. We've pleasant. discussed that on the show. Before. I think we have, yeah. 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 Well, we've gotten into filthy territory right away, haven't right? we? Right, yep. Body parts. Because we're talking about cervix. Like, I mean, is it that dirty? I don't know. Or, to uh, talk about women's anatomy? I don't know. So is it in the grasshopper? Uh, a grasshopper is equal parts of creme de cow, cacao, cacao, uh, creme de menthe, cream, and um, that that's your standard. There are, of course, variations, as there are with every color. Yeah. And before we get into the history of the drink, which I would like to hear, which I'm going to understand is interesting, mm-hmm. correct? Actually, sort of. Okay. And then next before... week is the is the killer. This week is kind of well. We'll get to it. And before we talk about our movie, uh-huh. I do have to do our standard disclaimers. Okay. All right. Standard disclaimer number one, neither Kate nor I is an expert on cocktails or movies, and I can't stress that seriously enough. Before we made the show, our cocktail experience was pretty much limited to uh, martinis and vodka tonics. Uh, Soco. <sighs> And uh, as far as movies go, I don't think I've left the house since 2003. <laughs> Second standard disclaimer is that alcoholism is a serious disease, uh, like depression and Parkinson's disease, which felled frequent podcast contributor Robin Williams last yeah. week. Uh, and while neither Kate nor I were a super big fan of his work of late, uh, I do have to say he was big influence on me as a teenager. I had his uh, Live at the Met uh, comedy album pretty much memorized when I was 15 or 16 and uh, the man uh, wanted to entertain mm-hmm. and unlike a lot of performers these days he didn't seem to have contempt for his audience and was really eager to make people laugh which you have to admire hmm. he was sort of a throwback to another age like a vaudevillian just, yeah he seemed just like a really nice guy who enjoyed doing what he did so yeah that is a sad loss and each of those uh, depression and Parkinson's I'm sure played a part in his death mm-hmm. ultimately of depression I think Sad disease. And if you had one of those, you would see a physician. And if you think you have a drinking problem, you should probably also see a physician. So, Kate, the grasshopper, why don't you tell me about it? Um, like I said, the grasshopper is equal parts of uh, creme de cow, creme de uh, menthe, and uh, milk. Or cream, excuse me. Not milk, mm-hmm. cream. Um, there's a couple God of, help you. God help you if you put milk in this shit. Um, what, does, can, can I, yeah. what does creme de menthe mean? Waterfall. In French? Mm-hmm. Okay. Minty waterfall. Yeah. Cream of waterfall. Yeah. Okay. They got it from the um from the Native Americans in the Canada region mm. when they, you know, started colonizing up there. Oh, is that like a Marquette and Joliet sort of thing? Well, yeah, it kind of it originally, yes, exactly. It dates back to before the French and Indian War, but like just before. Mm-hmm. By which I mean the war with the French and the Native See, Americans. See, I had always been led to believe that French for waterfall was uh, alouette. You know, I think that's a synonym. I'm not sure. I'd have to consult my French to okay. English dictionary. All right. Maybe well, um, we'll yeah. Frère Jacques. Yeah. Dormez vous, Josh. Oh, dude, I love to dormez. Don't get me started. I <laughs> do dormez. When I dormez, <laughs> it is the best oui. day. Oui. Dormez vous? We. We. Jante. I don't even know. It's like Frère Jacques. Yeah, that's because we're not speaking. Jacques. Ask my wife. She has. She probably knows. Yeah. It's creme de menthe, creme de cacao, uh, and uh, milk. But there's a couple of variations, as mm-hmm. there is with every cocktail. Uh, one of which is that you can have a, a grasshopper with another equal part of whatever your previous ratio was uh, with some vodka to kind of give it a little bit more kick. Because as I'm sure you're noticing, Josh, it is a very sweet beverage. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, it's designed to be 
enjoyed after dinner. Kind mm. of like a, it is a dessert drink almost. Yeah, it's like melted ice cream with vodka in it. I mean, it, it does taste a lot. Like, In fact, it does pretty much just take like taste like a shamrock shake. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same color, too. I mean, I have no doubt that there are high school kids in March who make their own grasshoppers by putting vodka yeah. in a shamrock shake. Probably. <laughs> um, I mean, they're theater kids, I have no doubt. But Yeah. Well, and so on that note, this is the vodka variation because I figured that if I'm going to consume cream, I might mm-hmm. as well get some kind of other benefit out of it since we – Josh and I are both lactose intolerant. I'm sure this has come up on the show before. Many times. I was reluctant – We've tried it. I kind of think that it tastes like leprechauns cum would taste. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, you know, it's been so long <laughs> since I blew a leprechaun. Um, you know, summer camp, they make you do things. Um, like just look at the color. It looks, I it's don't know. green. It looks like mint chocolate chip ice cream that, uh, that melted. I think um, when you actually... When you shake it the proper way with, like, the right amount of ice and everything, mm-hmm. it looks a little bit more frothy. So mm-hmm. it looks a little bit more presentable, especially it's served in a traditional martini glass with chocolate shavings on mm-hmm. top. So I feel like part of the Yeah, where are the here, chocolate shavings? It's supposed to have those. Uh, Kate didn't get any chocolate shavings. I'm sorry. It's, you know, when you get... I didn't know they, how uh, to shave chocolate. When the, I was going to say, when the Cadbury Bunny shaves. I barely... That's what you get. <laughs> See, I barely know how to shave my own legs. How do I supposed to shave chocolate? Cadbury Bunny. Yeah. When he shaves, you get chocolate shavings. This does seem like it would be a great um, Christmas cocktail, though, don't you think? Because it's so minty. Like, you could serve oh, that yeah. like a Christmas, like as a punch, maybe. I don't know how that mm-hmm. would work. I think if you punched it up to enough where it was colder mm-hmm. and just kind of permanently chilled, it would taste. This is the kind of drink I think I would serve in detention. You mean it like in high school? Yeah, because I think they'd love it. What? I think if I was hosting a detention oh. cocktail party, you know, if I was like in 10th grade. Is that a detention themed cocktail party? Oh, no. I'm just like if I got detention and I here. wanted everybody to be my buddy, I'd be like, hey, grasshoppers over here in the corner. So getting down to the history. Right, I was going to say, so what is the history and how does it differ from, say, uh, the cicada or uh, well, the, one the is, millipede? Well, one is kosher. Mm-hmm. The other one is not. Right. Um, Can I have either of them with uh, uh, cheese? Well, yeah, because there's di- dairy in here. Can you yeah. serve dairy with liquor? This I, can't I, possibly I, you, be kosher. It, I don't think it can be. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so this this beverage I chose because, A, it was a uh, a new kind of cocktail for us. Like, we did do the White Russians, but this is more of a dessert cocktail. I don't think we've mm-hmm. ever done, like, a dessert. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of flirted with doing Irish coffee a couple times, but we've never done it. I chose it for that reason. I also chose it because it... Uh, it's unique. I've never used See, if you're cream. really Irish, Irish coffee is a breakfast cocktail. True. Very true. Um, <laughs> potatoes and Irish coffee. That's all you need. Corned beef hash and Irish coffee. All right. <laughs> all right oh, man, so, I love corned beef hash. Do you like corned beef hash? I've never really had it done properly well. Like, mm-hmm. I had it once on St. Patty's at, like, a church function, and I was like, this shit is disgusting. You know the place that I always eat here in town? Great corned beef hash. Oh, you mean the diner? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. Well, the next time we go, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll look up it. I'll look it up. So the history of this cocktail, the grasshopper, is named such because of its green color. It is mm. a very green drink. Um, it was the entry into a cocktail contest in New York City. The person who uh, made it up was bartender. What year is this? In 1928. Okay. All right. This is back when America still had a devil-make-hair attitude about liquor and enough money to spend on goofy cocktails. Right. So, right before the crash. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, the man who invented it owned a restaurant and bar in New Orleans. His name was, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize to his descendants if I fuck this up, Philibert. Okay, so it's probably French. So I'm thinking it's like Philibert Gissier Jr. Let me see this. Let me see this. Because you know I know how to pronounce everything ever. Phil, are you there? Okay. Philibert, uh, uh, or Philibert Gichet, Gichet? Junior. I think Gichet. Yeah, Gichet Jr. Wow. Man, Philibert Gichet Jr. That is a great fucking name. <laughs> That's like right up there with that episode of Law and Order with Rene Picard in it, in terms of like, oh, you know he's Cajun because he's. But here's the thing if you invent a cocktail and your name is Philibert Guichet Jr., why is the cocktail not named the Philibert Guichet Jr.? Or the Guichet. Like, I think that would Seriously, be fabulous. That is a fantastic yeah. name. Well, grasshopper because of the color, which is not even the color of a grasshopper. Like, it's green, but grasshoppers are like not this color green. Nothing in nature is this color green. That is true. And that is why nature sucks. I feel like this is the first time I've had such open disdain for a cocktail. That Which is made. crazy because I quite like it. You do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's too sweet. I don't know. I like them sweet. I tend to like my cocktails yeah. sweeter than you do. Yeah. Um, so this, this, the cocktail contest that was held in New York, this is the drink that came in second. Really? What beat it? No one knows. It was brought by a mysterious hooded figure. Yes. And after he won and accepted the trophy, he disappeared in a mist. Exactly. A a green-colored mist. (laughs) Right. Um, And he said, I will return. And every year on that day, (laughs) cocktail aficionados gather to await his return in their their grasshopper raiment, which is uh, robes that are grasshopper-colored. The drink or the inside? The drink, obviously. Okay. Uh, to like, await his return. <laughs> One it... day I will return with this cocktail that is so good, mm-hmm. it is better than this delicious co- uh, gra- grasshopper. God, what, what would that drink be? I don't know, because um, this is also, since its creation, mm-hmm. it has been classified from like a cocktail, like, mm-hmm. you know, just anything you drink, to an after-dinner cocktail. Because the international bar um, bartenders association has their cocktails divided into three sections which mm-hmm. is the classics um, the new the new classics mm-hmm. and um, the unforgettables the unforgettables are like your really really mm-hmm. classic ones like your mm-hmm. manhattan your martini this is one of the new ones i think ones. jeff beck was actually in the new unforgettables <laughs> before he went to the originals and then ronnie wood joined the original unforgettables uh, but then uh, Mick Taylor then went and joined the new Unforgettable Originals. So this is an official cocktail from the IBA. Um, they're they're divided into the Unforgettables, which are like your Gin Fizz, mm-hmm. John Collins, Manhattan, Mary Pickford. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Contemporary Classics. Harrison which... Ford is in uh, Unforgettables 3, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Contemporary Classics, which is like your uh, Long Island iced tea, your Mai Tai, and our very own Grasshopper. And then mm-hmm. you have New Era drinks, which are like your Vesper, your Dark and Stormy, like mm-hmm. all those. So that's one way that they divide them. Another way that they do it is by type of drink, like pre-dinner, dinner, mm-hmm. after dinner. Why don't they classify them by base liquor? I would, it would seem to me that the simple way would be, what is the base liquor of this cocktail? Well... I, I agree. I think that is some and my cocktail app that I have on my phone actually you can search for cocktails that way. Like, oh, I want something that gin is the base. I've also discovered that a lot of the International Bartender Association mm-hmm. recipes are varied to the point where the poor man like yeah. Us I was going to say that them. cocktails have gotten to the extent where I think 
we're not experts, as you may have heard earlier. But it seems like they've moved away from cocktails being based on the base liquor combined with something sweet and something bitter, which is sort of the standard recipe. Standard, yeah. To a standard flavor that they're looking for. And the liquor can actually change, like with this drink, mm-hmm. right? So it could be what? It can be vodka. It can be uh, gin, right? I don't think that. What, what can it be? Me. Vodka is added to the drink to give it a little extra push, mm-hmm. um, a little extra kick because it's two base liqueurs, not right. liquor. So that's it's a very weak. And then they would add liquor to make it more of a booze. But the base liquor is not vodka. The base liquor is this is is creme de menthe. Yeah. Right. Um, vodka's Which is only crazy. Vodka's only added because it's such a I don't want to say flavorless liquor. It's not, but it, you know, like if you added gin to this, it would be, I feel it would like taste like gin. too much. Well, yeah, you don't want to put gin with, with mint. That, exactly. That be, so that's why there's no, you know, gin mojito. Oh, God. So that's why uh, vodka is added to this particular one. Um, this is, again, an after dinner drink. They have mm-hmm. before, they have all day cocktails, which are like your punches and mm-hmm. your, uh, you know, your more fruity like fizzes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, so. Yeah, I don't know. It seems it would seems like it would be easier for me in my brain classify it by base liquor. But then you know, whatever, whatever sports your sport. Right. Is that a so, thing? Sporting sport. Sports your sport. You know what's weird is how they make everything plural in the UK. What do you mean? He was arrested on drugs charges. Drug? I haven't ever heard that. Drugs yeah, in America charges. they'll say drug charges, right? Well, now on to sports a, sounds okay. No, but he, they do it weird. It's do like, they? yeah, it's. And over Leicestershire, there were right. rainbows. Right. By which we third, mean one. In, right. In the third day of the test match between Pakistan and India and cricket and blah, 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 blah. Pakistan's and India's? Right. It was 143 to 112. Holy shit. I just thought of something third, I read about today at work. How to put away cricket? Oh, you realize a, a cricket match lasts like days. How the hell does that work? I don't know. I've never understood cricket other than, like, it. It looks funny, and they like to it look little... funny. It looks like baseball you're wearing with sweater vests, like playing baseball with sweater vest. What's the one with the ice where they, they push? That's curling. That's curling. That Still. is All completely right. different. I know, but I was just, I, I thought Let about... me ask you this. Because I'm interested in how your brain works. Okay. What in your brain? There's a synapse that fires when <laughs> someone talks about cricket that conjures up a picture of curling. Um, and where is the what's the bridge bridge nerve? Because there? they're they're not um, I mean they're not very popular. They're two sports that are popular worldwide, but not in America. They're done by people who speak English but aren't Americans. That that's I feel like that's legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's legitimate. Is, is field hockey on that list? No, but I used to play field hockey. Handball is handball on that list. Highlight team, team handball. Handball. Team handball is a great sport. Have you ever watched team handball? Mm-mm. You watch this and you're like, why is this not like the biggest sport in the world ever? Because it, it matches uh, soccer. It's mm-hmm. like if you took soccer and uh, basketball and then added 10% arena football to it. And then a little like 5% water polo. Is this, uh, does this sport take place inside of a dome of some kind? It could, but it's t- it takes place in a gym on a, like on a basketball court size court. So it's not like three men enter, one man leaves. Imagine, seriously, imagine basketball meets okay. soccer. Can you dribble the ball? Yes, I think. So why is it like soccer? Because there's two large goals? Because there's goals and okay. a goalie. And not, not like a whoop. Right. Yeah, it's like hockey, but without it's it, 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 you watch it and you're like, why is this not a more popular sport? I know nothing about it, but the three times that I've seen it, I'm like, this should be like if you were taking all of the essences of every sport that was fun to watch, right? And you took all the boring shit out of mm-hmm. them, like soccer where there's no scoring and shit, 
like if you merged them all together, I think you would get something that looked like Team Handball. But, you know, maybe that's why it's not popular. It's like the Esperanto of sports. Like, in theory, it would be good, but because it's so ham-fisted and, and man-made and not yeah. organic, then maybe that's why it is. All right. So, going back to the grasshopper, mm-hmm. I had one more thing I wanted to talk about. And this is not just – this is more than one source that tells okay. me this. So, it was invented in 1928. For, for the Bible tells you so. Mm-hmm. It was invented in 1928. It won second place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the bartender took it back with him to New Orleans, mm-hmm. so it was kind of a local After favorite. After the puff of green mist took the real winner away. Exactly. Back to Krebulon. <laughs> Krebulon? That's where he's from. <laughs> That's where it's the planet of great cocktails. Krebulon. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not worthy, earthlings, of, <laughs> of, of that which beats the, the grasshopper. So who was the judge in this situation, though? Because, like, they would have to be uh, learned Learned Hand. Someone judge who, Learned Hand. Someone who could There's have... a three-judge panel. Uh, learned Hand, mm-hmm. uh, Felix Frankfurter, mm-hmm. uh, and Catherine Hepburn. Okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And sorry. the ghost of Lizzie Borden. Oh. Okay. All right. I, you know what? I can't. I mm-hmm. buy it. That That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. So he... Mr. Uh, Mr. Frenchie took it back with him to New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, where it became kind of a local favorite. Philibert Gachet. Junior. 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 God help you if you refer to Philibert Gachet right. Senior. Right. He was a, a rascal, a scoundrel. Um, took it back with him to New Orleans. But oddly, and then... Philibert Gachet Senior <laughs> has not been seen since that puff of smoke. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Coincidence? I don't know. I don't think so. So after he took it back to New Orleans, it became a local favorite. Mm-hmm. And then apparently this cocktail languished, in, and th- I have heard this very phrase in multiple sources, say, languished in obscurity until the 1950s. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a and lot then, of local favorites in New Orleans that mm-hmm. for right, rightfully don't make it out of, out of New Orleans. I agree, but, um, I mean, with this cocktail. Like, they got fucking donuts that don't have holes. What the fuck is that shit? <laughs> I'm just saying. Take the best thing about the donut yeah, uh, and get rid of it. Well, here's the thing, too, is that you take away from the donut and you also Although take I'm away joking because the... beignets are fucking delicious. They are delicious. But I'm saying you take away the donuts, mm-hmm. the holes. You also take away the donut holes that can be sold separately. That's also true. For when you're feeling yeah. a little too, like, you know. Yeah, you do DGI Joe it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't get the accessories sold separately quality mm-hmm. that you do with regular donuts. Can you imagine buying like a thing of donut holes and a thing of donuts and just cramming the donut holes back in there? Before well, it's like a, yeah, it's, you know, you it's, like, it? it's like one of those thousand piece puzzles. Like you take the donuts and you take the holes. And you're like, uh, this one doesn't. Er, this one doesn't. It's got a little thing sticking out. And we, okay, sweetie, I'm looking for one that has like it's like shaped like a shovel on one side, and then it's got sort of a little two pronged clover on the other side. And it'll probably have a couple okay. of a, a little okay. remnant. Oh, hey, I got a corner. I got a corner. I got a corner donut. Everybody, a corner donut. I got, I got a corner donut. You got a corner donut hole. (sighs) So, I've had a couple like um, everything I've read about the fucking grasshopper goes back. It goes, oh, you know, it kind of stayed out of the limelight Mm -hmm. until the 1950s, and then chicory coffee. That's another one. Fuck chicory coffee. It's disgusting. Another what? Thing from thing from New Orleans that doesn't go out. Oh, oh, doesn't make it outside in the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. That that stuff is disgusting. I've never had it. People to, love it. I've never been to New Orleans. Well, they sell chicory coffee. You, know, you can get Cafe du Mont coffee in the store, which has chicory in it. What is chicory coffee? It's coffee with 
chicory in it. What is chicory? I don't. It's like bark Disgusting. or something. Yeah. It's like eggshells and bark or something. Ew. It, it anyhow, it has this very distinct flavor, and it's a traditional uh, New Orleans drink. And Cafe Dumont, the big cafe down there, sells the sells a brand that goes national. Um, so the other thing I was going to say is that uh, it disappeared until the 1950s, apparently. When what happened? Women happened. Ugh. God, they ruin everything. Bitches, man. I know, right? So. First, they turn kilts all gay. <laughs> <laughs> By making them. <laughs> Skirts. What the shit? Um, so, no. What I've read says, like, oh, in the 1950s, women were at home more. And women and liquor was more readily available in, yeah, in chicory, grocery stores. Chicory is just a plant. It's just a plant, but it's like a barky taste of a plant uh, that, that they put in the coffee. It's uh, And it traditionally was used, I think, during the Civil War uh, when they didn't couldn't get coffee. Mm. I think the tradition of New Orleans chicory coffee is that they couldn't get coffee, so they made coffee out of chicory mm-hmm. entirely. It's one of those shitty, like, you know, it's the hard tack of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they started adding adding the chicory to regular coffee, and thus because an some abomination the was begotten. Right. Yeah. yeah. So story goes that in the 1950s, uh, it's also related to Belgian endive. <laughs> women had excuse me, endive. Women had access to grocery stores, um, and they were at home more, so they were doing all the shopping, and they could supervise. They uh, were there, thereby able to influence trends because they were the grocery shoppers of Makes the house. Makes sense. Okay. So women, because they're women, preferred sweetie, sweeter, mintier, mm-hmm. flavorful, fanciful drinks. I and like so, sweetie, mint, minty, fanciful drinks. So, I'm not a girl drink drunk, though. So that is why the the grasshopper became popular. Kate, be honest. Am I a girl drink drinker? No. You okay. love martinis. That's, I do. That is not a girl drink. But I also like like a cocktail that has sweetness in it. Mm-hmm. I like it to be sweet. I agree. You know, like a sidecar. I like my sidecar to be sweet. Yeah. You know? I don't like a, like this, the grasshopper. Yeah. Wow, it kicked me in the face, by the way. Did it? Ooh, I am. So the idea being that women were able to do the grocery shopping now that they were at home all the time, so they gravitated towards... Fruitier, not fruitier. Okay. According drinks. to Wikipedia, the United States chicory root has long been used as a substitute for coffee in prisons and in times of economic hardship. Huh. By the 1840s, Port of New Orleans was the second largest importer of coffee after New York. Louisianans began to add chicory root to their coffee when Union naval blockades during the American Civil War cut off the Port of New Orleans, thereby creating a long-standing tradition. Okay, so what about chicory in the Port of New Orleans has to do with iguanas and Nick Cage? <laughs> that is a good question. Well, I I'm think just, if I'm you just drink asking. enough chicory, yeah, you'll see iguanas. You will see you will see a man's soul dancing, <laughs> and and Cage will appear to you. Right. Wow. <laughs> you say his name three times in a mirror while you're drinking chicory. He I think the appear. strangest thing about that movie, and first of all, it has nothing to do with the original Bad Lieutenant, which I think is wonderful, uh, <laughs> because I don't, I'm not especially a fan of the original Bad Lieutenant, but. Uh, this movie has uh, Val Kilmer in it in a supporting role, and he is the most restrained performance in the movie. Val Kilmer. Not the iguanas? I thought the iguanas were kind of restrained. Well, they're quiet charmers. Yeah. But they're, you know, they, they, kind they of, smolder. Yeah, but they also kind of do like a wink and a nod. They're, they're doing a little fourth wall breaking, mm-hmm. sort of meta-narrative kind of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, got some Francis Urquhart going on. Right. <laughs> right. Not Richard III. Francis Urquhart. Yeah. At least you didn't say Frank Underwood. 
or Underhill. Or you know, I was reading this. I was reading this. It's Underwood, I think. Is it? I was reading this thing about uh, his influences for the role, mm-hmm. his t- like Kevin Spacey. And one of the things he said was when he played Richard III, which I can understand. Like, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Nowhere in that article did he say Ian fucking Richardson, who originally portrayed the role. Yeah. Like, Well, it's such a different role, but it was so much better, so. I mean, it's this. I don't think it's that different. I think it's pretty similar. It's like someone who's like you know. It's wants- different though because he's like Kevin Spacey's character on on House of Cards has sort of come up hard scrabble. Oh. Okay. The, the thing that makes Francis Urquhart so fun and entertaining is that he is the embodiment of inherited privilege, which is sort of such an English thing, mm-hmm. and I think it, it, that's something that's hard to translate to American audiences. So they had to come up with an idea. The American version, and, and well, but and they, their American version was this sort of Southern patrician yeah. conservative Democrat guy, a Dixiecrat, if you will. Yeah, and I don't. I'm I, I'm not sure that's necessarily analogous. I mean, I think you know the real the real one would be some sort of New York patroon liberal Republican. That's type. what I was thinking. Like, right. No, I, honestly, when I when you say that, I was thinking like a Kennedy, like a long well, no, no, no. lost well, Kennedy. No, but the Kennedys aren't. I mean, the Kennedys made their own. You know, they're they're bootleggers. This, yeah, they're but bootleggers it, yeah, but at this ago. point, they're like an American fucking no, you're, institution. I mean, you want to talk about something like a Freelinghuisen or you know an Auchincloss or one of these people who are go back three hundred years in New York. So maybe a Vanderbilt. Uh, right, that that whole Anderson thing. Cooper is the new Frank Urquhart. Right, right, exactly, Francis. Francis, can you imagine? <laughs> you, ma- I mean, he already does talk to the camera directly, but can you imagine like a serial like drama with uh, Andrew- Anderson Cooper? Anderson Cooper. It, it's it's reached that part of the podcast where the first drink takes. We hold. haven't even talked about the movie. <laughs> I know. Um, where Anderson. Boy, Cooper. We're like a half hour into the movie. <laughs> so hey, what did we watch this week? Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. So just to say, Anderson Cooper serialized TV could be gold. You're welcome, TV. Okay, we watched Grease 2 from 1982. Right. Sequel to a movie we have. This is, I think, the first time we have done a sequel to a movie that we've already done. No, right? we did Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, that's right. And we did the Poseidon Adventure. Excuse that's me. very true. Sequel to Grease 1. Sequel to Grease. No, Grease. Just Grease. Just Grease. Not Grease 1. Okay. Just Grease. Just Grease. That's a, well, Just Grease, that's like a, uh, it's like, it's a, that sounds like a, like a thriller from the 90s. I think it would have Denzel Washington. Ethan Hawke. Right. Yeah, Denzel Washington. Well, no, can't be Denzel Washington because oh, right, that's strange. Yeah. It'd be Denzel Washington, uh, John Travolta. Okay. Uh, I'm on board. Ashley Judd. Yes. And um, oh. let's see who else. And Wilford Brimley. I was going to say it needs a black guy in it. Besides Denzel Washington. Oh, you said Denzel. I thought you retconned Denzel out no. of it. Okay, sorry. Then we're good. We're good. Yeah. I was going to say Forrest Whitaker, but that's just me. Ooh, yeah. That would, that would also work before he was uh, the last King of Scotland. Yep. Actually, uh, did not take place in Scotland. So. <laughs> you were shocked to find that out. No, it's just that the last king of Scotland had joke. nothing to do with Scotland. That's the joke. <laughs> did you know that Gone with the Wind has nothing movie, to do way? with it's, weather patterns? Right, it's crazy. Have you seen uh, Last King of Scotland? It's uh-uh. really good. Uh-uh. I, I recommend it. All right. Um, but no, instead, instead of just Greece. Just Greece. We, we watched, watched Greece too. Unjust Greece to the unjust greasening. <laughs> Starring Michelle Pfeiffer, Maxwell Caulfield, and Adrian Samad. And right. um, no one from the original movie, well, not no one, no. but none of the main stars from the original movie show right. up in this one. It's only peripheral characters like Eve Arden is back as the principal, Dee Khan is back Khan's as Frenchie. Frenchie. For half the movie, and then she just disappears. Right. And Sid Caesar, television legend Sid Caesar, is back as the gym coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty much it in terms of carryovers. Yeah. Rather than Frankie Avalon doing uh, songs for the, sh- the movie, we have uh, the Four Tops 
contributing uh, number two mm-hmm. in sort of our retro pastiche number. There are a lot of songs in this movie, most of which I cannot remember. It's plot-wise, what does it? Uh, what's the story, Kate? So the story it takes place in 1961. The story is that it's the senior year for all of the major characters, who are the Pink Ladies and the T-Birds that we all know and love so well from the first movie. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer plays Stephanie, who is, I guess, not the leader of the T-Birds, but she's also, like, she's one of their main people. She just uh, broke up with Adrian Zemed's character. They also character. serve who only wear the jacket. Yeah. they. Uh, she just broke up with Adrian Zemed's character, who is um, kind of like the Danny Zuko type. He's the leader of the T-Birds. Uh, they used to go together, haven't, and they broke up over the summer. Cause like she doesn't Shubat boop buddy And they, because she says there's more to life than making out at the same time a new student shows up at mm. Rydell he's British mm-hmm. and he is Sandy's cousin Sandy who was played by Olivia Newton-John in the original by Australian Olivia Newton-John who also in that I'm pretty sure in the first movie they say she's from Australia so but his, Maxwell Caulfield is very clearly English and his character and he, and he is says he's from English. Britain he shows up, he immediately falls in love at first sight with Stephanie, and uh, he tries to approach her, but she's basically all like, go away, you're not a greaser, I can't be with you if you're not in the T-Birds. Basically, it's an attempted reversal plot of the, the plot from the yeah. first movie, Yeah. Uh, where Maxwell Caulfield is taking on the Sandy role, and he needs to toughen up and become cool for Michelle Pfeiffer to mm-hmm. like him. And through a series of... Not actually, much. not much. It's mm-hmm. not really a series of events. Of anything. Uh, uh, he buys a motorcycle. I think basically the pivotal event of this movie is uh, there's two. Uh, Maxwell Caulfield buys a motorcycle and um, gathers the attention of the school mm-hmm. and then fakes his own death uh, and gathers the pity of the school. Mm-hmm. That's pretty accurate? Well, yeah. So he um, he's he's known as a nerd. Like they call him Shakespeare because, of course, he's British. Because Shakespeare was a nerd. And uh, he is, Shakespeare loved his Rubik's Cube. He starts making money. By completing the assignments of all of the dumb kids, the T-Birds in school, for them. And, Shakespeare, you know. Commodore 64, you could not pry Shakespeare away <laughs> from his Vic 20. So that's how he's making his money. He usually, he eventually stays up enough over the course of the year to buy a uh, bike that he can fix up. He does, and he shows up and whisks Michelle Pfeiffer away. They have a wonderful evening where he doesn't take off his, his helmet or his glasses the entire time. She falls in love with him. And uh, then he fakes his own death during a, um, I guess, a, a bout He's with chased, the villain right. from Grease 1, the villain, if there is one. The, the sort of, remember the pockmarked guy that they did the that had the rival, race with, The rival, right? yeah. He shows up and chases uh, Maxwell Caulfield's guitar, guitar, his motorcycle into a gulch. Uh, things tend to they, they culminate. He's been sort of torn because he's having the Clark Kent Superman problem where Michelle Pfeiffer's character is very much in love with the motorcycle character whom she has dubbed in song the Cool Rider. Cool Rider. I need a cool rider. That was pretty impressive. Thank you. Uh, but he is worried that she doesn't love him for him. Yes. Yeah, he asks, to, to give you some background, he asks her out and he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? She's like, I'm busy. What are you doing the day after that? I'm busy. What are you doing the day after that? I'm busy. And then she turns around and she's like, she launches into the song about the about man the that cool she rider. needs is a cool writer. Right. So uh, through a series of wacky events. And again, it's not series and they're not wacky. <laughs> they're not that wacky. They end up making out. She likes the fact that, you know, she doesn't know it's him. And then mm-hmm. he's all like sad because he's like, well, where do we go from here? Uh, there is the... 
And he's wearing a goggle, goggles and helmet, which obscure his identity. Except that is such bullshit. I know. We'll, because, we'll get to that. We'll just finish okay. summarizing the plot. Be, and um, Be brisk. So after the uh, play, that they have like a talent show, which she wins. They have a luau the next day. A rockahula luau. A rockahula luau, which is where it culminates. Like the uh, the other greasers from the other rival high school with the pockface guy. They like crash the luau. They come in and... Um, what happens next? Mayhem. Uh, may, like, how do they get? And then them? Maxwell Caulfield uh, shows up and uh, reveals that he right. is the cool rider, and yeah. then they ride away together on the back of his Harley. Right, and whatever. he's invited to join the T-Birds. Oh, because, he's invited to join the T-Birds. Right, because she wasn't allowed to. Because the Pink Ladies are property of the T-Birds. Yes. So, uh, meanwhile, there's a subplot a with weird sexual ethics. There's going a subplot on. with the head of the Pink Ladies, uh, played by Lorna Luft. Uh, Liza Minnelli's half-sister, Judy Garland's uh, daughter, and uh, Adrian Zamed, uh, who are there. He's very possessive. And she and I think I thought that plot was meant to re- uh, to sort of mirror the Stockard Channing Jeff Conway plot. And I yeah. thought it was actually more interesting. I thought the whole, of the whole thing, I thought theirs was the most interesting yeah. thing, was her, her like, look, I can, you know, dance and wear clothes, and it still doesn't mean I'm not, like, a, I'm not skeezy, which I thought was, you know, that was pretty modern ethos. Uh, so there's that. There's uh, some sort of subplot about them proposing Preparing to do music, uh, there's a um, there's a subplot between one of the T-Birds and the girl who was the lead in Fame, mm-hmm. Maureen something or other, something Irish Feeny or he's something. He's trying to get in her pants. Right, uh, and there's a lot of songs, almost all of which are entirely forgettable. And this that's basically the whole plot, right? Like I don't think I've missed any any no, plot. No, you haven't. Near as I can tell. Mm-mm. Um, but these scenes take a long time to happen. Um, and it's not just because of the wonderful choreography. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, break down the movie, I guess. Uh, you, you have a few problems with this movie, uh, one of which is not the budget. Budget was twice as much as the first movie. Was it? Yeah. Original budget movie. And, the, you know, original Grease is pretty cheap. If you look at it, it's a pretty cheap looking movie. And this one looks like an expensive movie. I mean, it's fourteen million bucks in nineteen eighty-two dollars, which is not an insignificant. That's you know, yeah, that's, that's a forty a million. That's a forty million, yeah. fifty million dollar movie today. Uh, um, so there's that. It was directed by the woman who choreographed the original Grease, which I think is why of all the things in this movie, and you may be may be, may be wrong, but I think you'll agree with me. The choreography is the best thing in this. movie. It is, and it's fabulous. Like it's yeah. better than the first movie. Yeah, like, the some first of the movie is some not of the set that... numbers are amazing. Like the yeah. opening set number, the song is shit. Yeah, but the, the dancing and like the set pieces and like the scale of it. Right. And that, that's how I feel about like the luau scene when right. they do the and rock again, of luau. Big set pieces yes. with a lot of extras, Very. a lot of. Uh, intricate movement around. Very you know, theatrical. Very theatrical. Uh, and uh, that stuff was, you know, I'm going to say it. That, I think the choreography in this movie was better than the choreography in the first movie. Uh, yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm not a fan of the first movie, so. And again, this. By the way, let me preface this by saying this is a bad movie. Yeah. This is a very bad movie. Yep. Uh, and we didn't like Grease 1 either. No, we did not. Um, but I will go out on a limb and say that I enjoyed this movie more than Grease 1. I'm not going to say that. Because, uh, you know, that's I'm not going to say that. Uh, well, I am, so. There are elements of this movie that I thought were the best thing in either of the movies. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some of the choreography. Like the choreography at the beginning, um, some of the bowling scene choreography, some of the Rockahula choreography mm-hmm. was uh, some of the best stuff. And some of the when, the, when the T-Birds are doing their little number with the silk screen, um, when they're practicing. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was interesting. And this movie has a better sense of, it just has a better sense of place and a better mise-en-scene, better uh, production values. It's shot better. It's framed better. Um, you know, 
it looks better. Like, uh, yeah. That said, it is completely soulless. The plot, nothing happens. And the music, with the exception of, I think, two songs, mm-hmm. all the songs are bad. But with, but there are two songs that are at least sort of have theatrical inspiration right, and the, feel like a theatrical song. One of which is the Do It For America, right. I'm and, guessing. What is the other one that you're thinking of? The uh, reproduction song. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is the wella, wella, wella. Right. And they're all bad songs. And the reproduction song is cringingly awful. It's pretty terrible. Um, half, but of, half of the lines are delivered in spoken word. By Tab Hunter, who is the biology teacher. Like, Which, it's... by the way, if anybody should know jack shit about reproduction, it's incredibly gay Tab Hunter. Reproduction. But they have it. Uh, just to set the scene, one of the songs, one of the two songs that I... And when I say theatrical, I mean a song that takes something very specific, a specific thing that people are doing on stage and either sings about it to comment on, you know, a plot development or to advance the plot or like opera style exteriorizes something that's going on internally in a character. Yeah, I was going to say it just pumps up the volume like on. So in the reproduction thing, I think it sets a sort of, you know, this is a high school where, you know, kids are all randy. Yeah. Of course, one of the problems being the immediately previous number was them at the bowling alley singing about how they all wanted to score. So <laughs> it's a completely redundant song in that effect. It is, but this um, one's catchier than but, the score well, and it's, song. It, and again, it feels theatrical because it's specific. You know, yeah. It's taking a, we're in biology class. It's a terrible song and like cringingly bad, but at least it's theatrical. The other one that I thought was theatrically inspired at least was the... It's the old, it's an urban legend that they apparently reappropriated really? for this plot. Oh yeah, is that people, kids would fake a nuclear war... In order to have sex with their girlfriends. Jesus. All right. So one of the T-Birds takes a pink lady to a bomb shelter that Maxfield Caulfield knows about. Well, or no, like he lives owns. in it because he's visiting a family stateside. Something so like that, So his yeah. room is the fallout shelter. So he... But you get something that's brought up and never nothing's really done with it, and, and it's like it, a cool no, thing. Here's the weird thing. So where is Maxfield Caulfield when this happens? Does he, like, sell... You don't meet his family or do, anything. Does he sell his pad out to the T-Birds so they can bang No, remember, it's, a, he's, it's an agreement for the motorcycle money, and then he's selling papers. Okay. Too. All right. Cool. All right, so uh, he's writing papers for the T birds. Right, one of the T birds, uh, sort of. Um, uh, uh, he's George Mar- Yeah, guy. he's George McFlying it. Um, one of the T birds comes with one of the pink ladies uh, into the. Or doesn't. Yeah, well, he doesn't end up, or maybe he did. Maybe he stayed afterward. I don't know. Um, he comes into the bunker with her. <laughs> he comes into the bunker with oh, her. Is that what we're calling it now? Her bunker. And uh, Maureen Teefy, that's who. It is. While they're in there, who you again may remember as the incredibly cute uh, ingenue at the heart of the motion picture fame. Right. So they come in and to the bunker. He shuts it and they're looking around. And then all of a sudden, he's hi- not hired, but he's gotten two other T-birds to like do like sound effects and smoke like outside, an air raid siren. like an air raid siren. And so she's like, "Oh no, we're dying. What are we gonna do?" And then he starts singing the song, like, "We gotta do it for America. We gotta repopulate the earth, baby." Mm-hmm. And he gets really close to doing it, right? Which I think is, you know, that is a sort of adventurous theatrical thing that in a an '80s sex comedy about the '60s would be something fun that you could do because it would take something that was formally like the era, something mm-hmm. from the 60s, it's, it'd be like, you know, it's like Grease, La- Grease Lightning was in the first one, whereas, you know, you're singing a song about, I mean, the song is explicitly about it's a pussy wagon, which mm-hmm. you wouldn't have said in a song from the 60s, but you're sort of updating it. And it's the same sort of thing, something that we could say because it's the 80s, but it's the 60s. Right. That was, you know, the inspiration is and understandable. That, that's something that I, I think about this movie, too, is like the inspiration is there. It just never takes off. Well, and, well yeah, I mean... At the, all. The problem is that you're building on a, a foundation of sand to begin with. 
because Grease, the original, A, not a good movie, B, entirely part of a moment that was passing, the sort of late 70s nostalgia for the 50s, sort of shanana uh, happy days moment. Yeah, well, I agree, but here's something, like, it's weird for me, because talking about this movie, I do not enjoy Grease one whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think it is a terrible movie. I think that is reprehensible. Its message is just beyond... (laughs) I don't Beyond. like it either. But, like, you know. It's awful. It is terrible. It is highly offensive to me. And then you make a sequel. For a lot of people, the reason that this movie, The Grease 2, isn't good is because it just isn't as good as the first one. But I'm like, but the first one wasn't that great either. Well, here's the thing. The first one had... Here's And I want to sort of segue into discussion of the music, which is we were already talking about the things that right. weren't theatrical. But the first one did an okay job, I think, of melding enough... Um, of a sort of 50s sound a little bit of the songs to a 70s production mm-hmm. of songs. Um, now, you can sort of argue that most of the songs from the original Grease sound much more like 70s songs than they do songs that would actually have happened in the 50s. But oh. they're at least their inspiration is at least recognizably late yeah. 50s doo-woppy type well, stuff. Well, and that's why in the... Um in the reproduction song from this, I felt it was very doo-woppy. Right. And yeah. that, well, that's what I'm getting to. Right. Most of the songs, especially the ones that are really bad, are barely recognizable as period homages at all. You know, I think the Rockahula song is clearly an homage to Rockahula Baby, which is an Elvis song, but mm-hmm. uh, the sort of hula craze of the early 60s. Uh, the um, the bowling song has a little bit of a doo-wop flavor to it. Uh, no, I don't. I um, disagree, but... But most, like, her Cool Rider song... Sounds exactly like she's like the wind. It's I mean, it sounds it's like a, an eighties power Benatar. Yeah, right. it's and then like the only other song, the songs that felt like me to be fifties was the. Um, oh, and Maxwell Caulfield has a song that's very similar to the Cool Rider song, which yeah. is just like him doing a power ballad. It doesn't yeah. sound anything like the fifties. The uh, the ones 60s. that sounded the most like the fifties or the early sixties were the reproduction song because it's got that like boy and girl a chorus. Terrible song. Terrible still, and then the one that they sing for the pageant, "Girl for All Seasons" or whatever, right. which was very like. Sha la 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 la. Well, that, yeah, that was. You uh, know, like, yeah, it was very 50s. That was the, the closest to, like, a Frankie Avalon type number. And I yeah. liked that. I mean, I thought the costumes were really fucking weird, but whatever. But again, high production values. Yeah. Uh, and the choreography was interesting. And again, this movie's photographed really well. It looks, you know, it looks like a big budget movie. It doesn't look cheap, okay? No. You know, it, it's weird because this. I think this was a first-time director. She may have directed a couple of things, but she's clearly hired because she's a choreographer. But I don't think you can necessarily fault technically her direction. The problem is there's no story there's no whatsoever, story and, and the, the songs are that awful. It, and the script that is there is just dumb. Right. And the performers have. Maxwell Caulfield is a supporting player in a leading man body. Yeah, I was gonna say Adrian's a med. Adrian's med is a supporting player. You know, an elite. Yeah, no. I say I think everybody in this movie, except for the two leads, was giving it their all. Well, like, and Michelle Pfeiffer is a leading lady who, you know, gives her damnedest. Um, but the character has basically no arc, and, and she's she basically... also has nothing to act against. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I still like this movie better than the first one. I'm going to come out and say it. Right. Uh, I I'm not going to pick because at least in this movie, a girl doesn't slut herself out to get a man. I still think your interpretation of the original Grease is a little bit off, but <sighs> so that's it. I don't like Grease or Grease 2. Uh, this movie was not as bad as I, mean, I thought no, it was going to be. I don't like either of them, really, but if I had to pick. I couldn't say that this movie is worse than Grease 1, except that I think the music is worse. Yeah. Uh, and the music in Grease 1 is not great. Reproduction. That song is really bad. You, 
Reproduction. 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 Right. And okay. okay. So uh, you're missing all of the tab hunters' spoken word stuff about pistols and stamens. Now, when a plant pop, <laughs> right. yeah. we'll put it up yeah. on the website. Yeah. Yes, we will. So, uh, so Kate. Uh, yes. If Grease Two mm-hmm. were a cocktail, yep. What would it be? Okay. So here's my thought. Mm-hmm. I think that Grease Two would be a cocktail that was kind of drab. Mm-hmm. And um, boring, and mm-hmm. it'd been done before, but put in a very fancy, had a very fancy presentation, like in one of like a glass with like a curly Q stem mm-hmm. and like an umbrella or like some kind of um, like, you know, like Applebee's, like Tiki, Quali, Eeny, Bedini, like, you know, one of those where it looks really impressive. I have no impressive. idea what Eeny Bedini is. You know what I mean? Like one of those like, like racist thing against Italians. No, it's like a mutant. It's like a freaking cocktail that they do at like chain restaurants. Okay. Um, I gotcha. Um, but like it's it looks really good. Mm-hmm. It has great production values, but ultimately when you get down to it, it's just like fucking soda dead dead like blue flavor and vodka. Mm. So I was going to be a lot simpler. I was going to say that it's a, it's a a bad it would have to be a bad drink, but that was unfairly beaten up as being even worse than it is. Okay, hmm. so I was going to okay. think it's like a whiskey sour made with really bad whiskey and country time lemonade mix. Oh, Jesus. No, but but people beat up on whiskey sours as like being sort of déclassé or like yeah. the thing that, you know, college graduates. Right. Drink. We, we talked right. about it. Right. Um, which I think is unfair, but it's still a nasty beverage if you make it this way. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 what Grease 2 is. All right. All right. So Grasshopper, what would it be? If it um, were a if it were a motion picture, mm-hmm. have you had time to think this through? I have an answer. Okay. Do you have an answer? I do. All right, go for it. Uh, if grass if the grasshopper were a movie, I would think that um, it would be Leprechaun Three. <laughs> <laughs> the, Isn't that a little on the nose? And then this is all, this is the one that takes place in Vegas mm-hmm. because it is rather indulgent. Don't you think it's a very like rich, mm-hmm. indulgent kind of flavor? Um, it is also green mm-hmm. and tastes like Ireland and. <laughs> Uh, Leprechaun 3 is the one where the leprechaun shows up in Vegas because um, – I'll, I'll take your word for that. Uh, Which is the one where he, he goes to space? That's Leprechaun 4, I think. This is the one where he bites a guy in a in – a, That's how you catch leprechaunism, by the way. No, that, that's what happens. The guy, like, starts turning into a leprechaun. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, it's like, you know, when you get bit by a vampire, you start becoming a vampire. Right, like when you that's get bit by happens. a dog, you turn into a dog. <laughs> when happens. you get bit by a baby, you regress he's, and become a baby. He's fighting <laughs> – He's fighting the leprechaun, and the leprechaun bites him on the hand, and then he starts becoming the leprechaun, but he just degenerates into, like, this Irish stereotype. Like, there's a scene where he orders, like, five different kinds of potatoes. Sure. In the casino. I have never once seen an Irish person eat a potato in my entire life. Like, seriously, I've never seen an Irish person eat a potato. Like, and I've, I've, you know, it's not like I spend lots of time with Irish people, but I've known enough <laughs> Irish people. Never once seen them eat a potato. So that's, that's, to me, it's it's Leprechaun 3. Do you think it's like black, black people and fried chicken that, like, they deliberately avoid eating it so that they don't want to be seen as a stereotype, despite the fact that both potatoes and fried chicken are fucking delicious? Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to ask like, you know, I've no, I'd have like, to I've ask had a... black friends who would deliberately not order, like, fried chicken when they're out in public because it's like, you know. I would have to um, ask a black Irish person and see what their thoughts were on the matter. Mm-hmm. What movie does okay. the grasshopper remind you Me? of? Well, it would have to be something that is trying really hard to entertain mm-hmm. and has a lot of stuff in it and that you kind of enjoy the first time you're having it, but later you regret it because it was just doing too much. Mm-hmm. So the answer is Shrek. Nice. 
Although, I think the original Shrek is really cute. Uh, All right. We can agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Yeah. (laughs) So, hey, if you have any suggestions for a cocktail for us to do. Or or any comments on the show. Or comments or a movie for us to watch, you can uh, visit us on Twitter. We're at at PNTCast. You can send us an email at PNTCast at gmail.com. We have a Tumblr, PNTCast.tumblr.com. We are on the web at pntcast.wordpress.com, mm-hmm. and you can search for us on Facebook and join our Facebook group if you search for Prefer Not To. Mm-hmm. And we really do love to hear from you. And please, seriously, uh, write us a review on iTunes. Even just a few words saying things you like, saying things you didn't like. Every review, and I mean that legitimately. If I get up in the Every morning review. and I have seen a review, you make me happy. So, you know, if you want to make me happy, even write a negative review, I'll still yeah. be happy. We're on Stitcher. We're also, also on, on iTunes. Stitcher, on iTunes. Um, we really appreciate all of your feedback. We'd love to hear more what you have to say. Right now, Josh and I are doing... A, uh, a couple of episodes on uh, unfortunate sequels. I don't think we mentioned yes. that. So if you well, have, we were an doing Irwin Allen disaster movies. We've moved on to unfortunate Fortunate sequels. sequels. So Previously guys... to that, we had done uh, number one, mo- forgotten number one movies from our life. So if you have a suggestion or something you'd like us to watch, please. We're very friendly people. Hit yeah. us up. Indeed. Anything else going on? People need to know about besides the uh, Africanized caterpillars that we got going oh, on Jesus. here. Jesus. All right. I. Part of me wishes it's tent caterpillar season here, and. Uh, are caterpillars. Seriously, I'm not making this up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the week that we watched The Swarm They're like about the Africanized the bees, uh, the caterpillars are, like, twice as large, and, uh, like, they look like like black twizzlers mm-hmm. now. And they're way big, and I, and I think we have Africanized ten caterpillars. Okay, so what I was going to say is I really wish I had measured the caterpillars from last year so I could compare them mm-hmm. to the monsters outside. I'm kind year. of surprised you weren't, frankly. You know what I mean? And also, here's the sad thing. Because God knows if you'd love anything, it is measuring insects. The, they're everywhere. Yeah. They are everywhere. And, like, it, most of them are dead and, like, shriveled up on the ground because it's too hot or they got Is this like on. an M. Night Shyamalan, the happening kind of thing? God, I hope where not. Where the caterpillars are trying to get revenge on us? I hope not. Because they're doing a shitty job. They're just dying on our car. <laughs> but they are. They're huge in Africa. And, of course, uh, catnip. We, we don't have a lot of time to talk about yeah, catnip, we don't, yeah. but word is it's getting retooled th- that uh, they may be focusing again mostly on the cat side of the equation, reducing. See, the... they get like they did like a weird half season thing, and yeah. they're like retooling it for the rest of the season, and it's. I don't want to say that I don't want to watch catnip when it comes back on because I do, but it's still frustrating to me to like mm-hmm. deal with like you know get well, your they shit together sign, before you, know, you order you a they season. Signed, they signed Helen Hunt uh, to do the voice of the ermine. They did for a full season. Oh, so I don't Not know if they're going to be the adding. Oh. I don't know if they're going to be adding her permanently to the cast for the rest of the season. But we haven't heard her talk yet. So, come on, that could be good. All right, it could work. I guess. All right. So, as always, got anything else you want to talk to folks about? Um. Before we end up our grasshopper and uh, primal grease, what was it? Original grease. The original, the greasening. The greasening, or, or something like that. <laughs> greasening. Primal grease. Primal Grease. Ooh, I like that. But that's that. But you know what that is? That's like uh, Steven Seagal plays Agamemnon. Primal Grease. Primed, primed to Grease. G R E E C E, starring Steven Seagal. Primed to Grease. He's Agamemnon. Okay, who's a, who's Odysseus? Uh, Ger- uh, Gerard Butler. Okay, of course. Obviously. All right. Uh, Ajax, Ajax is going to be uh, Jared Leto. Okay, and who is um who is Achilles? Uh, Achilles is actually a CGI rendered composite. The body acting is going to be Andy Serkis, <laughs> uh, but the voice acting, Jimmy Fallon. Okay, Paris. 
Uh, you'd have to be a delicate, slight blonde fellow. Who do we think would, uh, would Viserys Targaryen? Yeah, that's true. Because that's a minor role. Harry Lloyd, um, Henry Lloyd, Harry Lloyd. I don't know. Anyway, and uh, last one, Helen. Hector. Well, oh. you can help, ha- well, Hector has to be the, kind of a kid, uh, right? You know, because he's younger than. Oh, it's a prelude, yeah. right? I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah, so uh, I don't know who would Hector be. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna go cast against grain, Donald Glover. Okay, and, and then Helen, Helen is gonna be. Uh, let's see, because it's uh, Angelina Jolie. I think you have to go uh, straight up with that. Okay, and Zeus. Uh, well, Liam who's Neeson. Briti- who's British and needs a paycheck? Maxwell Caulfield. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Maxwell Caulfield. So do you have any recommendations this week, by the way? Uh, oh. I'll do mine while you're doing your thing. You mentioned Maxwell Caulfield, and mm-hmm. I just rewatched a movie that he was in in the 1990s. It's a Tom DeSillo movie called The Real Blonde. It's uh, Tom DeSillo who did Living in Oblivion we mm-hmm. watched. Um, and it's a fun movie. It stars uh, Matthew Modine and Catherine Keener in a sort of – it's set in the New York acting and fashion world. But it's really all about – sort of media conditioning about how we look at bodies and f- look at sex and physicality. And I'm making it sound really preachy and tedious, but it's very funny. Uh, Maxwell Caulfield plays a sort of airheaded male actor, soap mm-hmm. opera actor type. And he's very funny in it. And uh, I wish his career, he'd gotten to do more things like that because he's very funny and I highly recommend it. And it has the single best cinematic depiction of catcalling that I've ever seen. That's The Real Blonde, a... Uh, I think it's 1997 or something. It stars Matthew Modine, Catherine Keener, Maxwell Caulfield, Elizabeth Berkley. Oh. Um, there are cameos in it from a million different people like Kathleen Turner and uh, Dave Chappelle and Kathleen things like Turner. that. Kathleen uh, Turner. So that's my recommendation for a good Maxwell Caulfield movie. All right. Do you have anything? Uh, I was just yeah, I was going to say Moonlighting, but we – Because we're watching it this week? But it's really good. Like, yeah, I, really it is good. I told you it was good. It. I've been enjoying it. Josh and I have been um, – well, he's rewatching. I'm watching for the first time. This was my first favorite show as a teenager. Um, the first couple of epi- well, the first seasons of Moonlighting and uh, starring Simple Shepherd and Bruce Willis before he became Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. and it's delightful. I really enjoy it. I think it's fun. It's witty. The sexual tension is like off the fucking chain, and uh, I, it, it's. I was surprised how well it held held up. I thought it yeah. was going to feel more dated and cringy. Than it and does. I mean, her the wardrobe, like everything about it that is '80s, like the wardrobe, the settings, those are still very '80s. Well, most of the but, stuff that I worried was going to be cringy was Bruce Willis doing his sort of cool white guy shit, which is still cringingly bad. But in the context of the character, who is very clearly kind of a loser, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what I was most worried about. And I think it gets worse as the series goes on. We've only watched like two seasons so far. So Yeah, we're like we're like halfway through the second season, but I'm really enjoying it, and so I'd recommend everybody else watch it. I'm going to also go out on a limb and recommend uh, Hotel Hell, starring oh, yeah. Gordon Ramsay, yeah. uh, in which he goes to failing hotels around the U.S. and uh, tries to rehabilitate them. Re- rehabilitate, rehabilitate them, mm-hmm. um, and it usually involves <laughs> Gordon Ramsay getting naked at some point and taking yeah, a shower. He always takes his clothes off every, and gets in a shower. Every, it's not just taking his shirt off. Like in no. in Kitchen Nightmares, the British version, he takes off his shirt to change it to a chef jacket. Right. In the British version he's of Hotel always Hell, a shower. he's always getting naked. And you know what? In the U.S. version, always getting naked. Mm-hmm. So um, okay, so if you're going to recommend Hotel Hell, mm-hmm. I am going to recommend that picture from Instagram of the three-year-old <laughs> boy dressed up as Gordon Ramsay with little uh, frown lines on his forehead because it's fucking beautiful. Uh, it, it, it was beautiful. You look up toddler Gordon Ramsay, uh, you will have a, a little giggle. And uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that uh, Kate fucking loves Gordon Ramsay, so... All right, Sousie, let's go home. Say goodnight, Gracie. 
crazy. <laughs> Once again, I've loved spending some time with you, the listeners, and you, Kate. Uh, we hope you'll do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you for listening, guys. Cool rider, I need a cool.